to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here. The discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I consider the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers are smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. Exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Hello. Welcome once again to Dark Discussions, your place for discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A. and with me in the state of Michigan. This is Eric. Eric, how are you, sir? I am well. Excellent. And in the Commonwealth of Virginia? Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how are you? Good. Excellent. And in the state of Missouri? Good evening. This is Kevin. Kevin, how are you, sir? Oh, fine. We're thinking about building an ark at the moment because uh, Missouri is getting a lot of rain. Oh, similar to Kentucky, then. How about that? Sorry to hear that. Um, and uh, co-host Mike of New York, uh, he will be joining us shortly. Uh, he's delayed uh, due to uh, some events at his house with his uh, family, and he said he would uh, join us shortly. But we can go ahead and begin uh, and do some of the house cleaning. So for folks who are new to the podcast, who we are here, we are part of the Dark Discussions News Network. This is the Dark Discussions Podcast. The network, the network can be found at www.darkdiscussions.com. We do have an email address at darkdiscussions at aol.com. You can put something in the subject to let us know that it's specifically for this podcast, and we will read your email on the podcast. So if you have information about a movie that you saw or you want to comment on a film that we reviewed or discuss anything or anything that's uh, genre-related and that would interest uh, the listeners, like yourself, uh, we will read your email on the podcast. Uh, two ways you can email us, as I stated, darkdiscussions at AOL.com, or you can go to darkdiscussions.com, and the menu is a choice called Contact Us. It will open up a form email that you can type your email that way and press the Send button. And speaking of uh, Mike, uh, he just joined us as well. Uh, so we already introduced Mike, uh, on saying he would be joining us shortly, and he is here. Now, wait, um, we'll make sure we can hear Mike because we have issues with that sometimes. Yes, that's true. So, Mike, say hello. <laughs> HG Wells, I See? came here. Okay, okay there we go. <laughs> I came Fair here enough. in a time machine. 
Indeed. Uh, so, uh, for folks who are curious, today is August 4th, 2022, uh, that we are recording this, because some of our listeners, like listener Pam, who is actually the reason why Mike was a little delayed, uh, are always curious why uh, or why, when we record our episodes, because sometimes they are not released immediately. However, I'm pretty sure this one will be released tomorrow, August 5th, because it is uh, timely and directly related to a theme uh, for tonight. Um, now, uh, what, what is that theme, Mike, since you joined us? Uh, someone, someone of importance? I see dead people. Yes, yes. So we are. Uh, this is our. I think this might be our third tribute podcast in the last couple of months. Um, you're right. Yeah, they're dropping quick. Yeah. So uh, we lost uh, the late great David Warner, who is a character actor, has been around forever in Hollywood. It seemed like, and. Um, He's going to be one of those guys, I think, that for the average moviegoer will be go, oh, yeah, I kind of remember him. But certainly for genre fans, uh, I think he's somebody who stands out. And I know he's like been on the convention circuit. And um, so, yeah, so uh, I, I felt thought it was fitting to do a tribute for him following the tribute we did for James Caan. And I know he did a tribute not long before that. I'm blanking on who that was. Um. So, uh, yeah, so we've picked a film out of his vast catalog. Ray Liotta. Ray Ray Liotta. Liotta. That's right. Yes, excellent, Kevin. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, So, yeah, this is the third one in in about two months that we're doing a tribute episode four. And uh, for folks who are old to the podcast, uh, myself and Eric uh, uh, did a podcast on The Omen way back in number 18 or number 16. Way back. Yeah, so yeah. Far and back, it's not even on the website. Yes, yes. It hasn't been re-added to the website since we uh, moved to the new fancy website. And Which still uh, told me going to take care of several months ago, but... You know. Yeah, yeah, I haven't... That I would haven't be a good that. time to, to put that back. <laughs> probably. Sorry, probably, Phil, yeah. you know I can't resist giving you our time. But. It, it, it's, it's a valid point, though. It's a valid point. Um... <laughs> uh, there, there is an alternate website that people actually can go to and listen to it. Um, I think that it's it's there, and I just have to move it. But uh, either way, that's a development website. But is uh, it no longer like on iTunes. If somebody wanted to get it through that, yeah, it's no longer. It's not on iTunes at the moment because uh, it hasn't been added to the feed. So okay. it will have to be. But uh, either way, uh, we decided to look through his his catalog and choose another film that he was in. Uh, we've actually done another, a couple of films with him in it too. We did uh straw dogs. Uh, he was in that, uh, that was a Patreon pick. Um, and speaking of Patreon picks, uh, what's that all about? Eric? Uh, whoa. Okay. Curveball. Uh, <laughs> well, Patreon is, he, he usually segue to me on that when you're talking about the website. Um, yeah. Patreon allows you to financially contribute to your online artists, uh, like us. So, if you'd like to help support the cost of producing this show, that's how you can do it. Producing this show is not free. We have to pay for things like uh, the website uh, that we were just talking about and uh, server hosting and computer equipment and movie rentals and so on and so forth. So, if you'd like to support us, that's how you can do it. For every $5 a month that you contribute, you'll have the opportunity to submit a topic for us to possibly cover on the show. 
we draw one at random from all our patron picks once a quarter. So uh, you can go to patreon.com slash dark discussions or go to darkdiscussions.com and click on the Patreon badge on any page of the site. Any and all contributions are greatly appreciated. Uh, that's right. That's right. And uh, Straw Dogs was a, a pick, I believe, by Chris Genro, uh, one of our Canadian listeners who um, was Canadian. Uh, Canadian, Canadian oh, uh, who um, has uh, shut off his 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 uh, Facebook uh, account recently within the past year as he had a, a major change in his life. And we do wish him well and uh, hope to hear from him uh, at some point. But uh uh, that was the second film that we did with David Warner, um, and then obviously the Omen. Um, all right, so we can we can talk about uh, some some news and stuff after um, the podcast if we have some time because there is a lot of news, uh, including uh, stuff with Netflix, HBO Max, Skiza Kier, uh, David Warner, and some of our thoughts about his career, among other news as well. Um, and just what we've been watching. Uh, but if we do, if we don't have time, we don't have time. But if we do, we'll bring up some of that stuff at the end. Uh, we also have a Mystic Connecticut meetup that's coming up as well in about two weeks from now. Uh, all of us here on the podcast tonight will be there as well. Uh, um, I think uh, a couple other folks, including spouses and uh, Leo pond and his wife from the dorking network uh and uh we'll talk a little bit about that too at the end well he's episode. he's just there that's where he lives indeed he does <laughs> that's true. That's true. yeah we get well that's the thing with mystic people think mystic is a town but it really isn't it's it's um there's a it's an bridge area. <laughs> yeah it's an area that encompasses two towns and half of it is in the town of Groton, which is the town that Leo listen. So there you go. Um, also, Taylor Swift lives only two towns away. Shut up. Anyway, um, <laughs> we can get into our topic tonight. So, uh, Eric, uh, what are we going to discuss tonight? Tonight, uh, in our tribute to David Warner, we're going to be talking about the 1979 movie he was in called Time After Time. The time is 1893. And novelist and inventor H.G. Wells invites you to join him on a flight from London to San Francisco. In under a minute, you will be transported to a bizarre and fantastic new age. Today. Time after time. For H.G. Wells, the modern world offers a spectacular array of revelations, embarrassments, and delights. Well, hello there. Hello. What's up, Doc? I beg your pardon? You were saying? Where to? Uh, could you please take me as quickly as possible to the Hyatt? But Wells has not come here as a tourist. His visit will be somewhat more dangerous. For he is pursuing Jack the Ripper, a villain who has eluded his fate by escaping into time. Ninety years ago, I was a freak. Today, I'm an amateur. I'm obliged to take you back to face the consequences of your act. You take me back. How do you propose to do that? By force? Be reasonable, John. 
We don't belong here. A 19th century gentleman. One. You don't close your eyes. And a 20th century woman. One neither to you. Join forces to capture a criminal from the past. At large in the modern world. But even more than they want him, he needs them. Throw me the key and I'll release the girl. On your honor, John, you have my word as a gentleman. I would have expected that you'd notice by now that I am not a gentleman. Say goodbye. Goodbye, Herbert. You haven't instructed him in the use of one of these machines, have you? A romantic adventure, a breathless chase around the world and across a century. Time after time. That's right. Time after time is a 1979 film. Uh, written and directed by Nicholas Meyer, who is probably best known for his work on uh, the Star Trek series, uh, specifically the movies. He, he directed the probably the two best Star Wars fil- uh, Star Trek films with the original cast. Uh, oh, nerds are coming for you. Wrath oh, of God, Khan no. and uh, the one with the wheels. Uh, but um, he, he did not direct the one with the wheels. He directed the one with David Warner. Actually, the second one with David Warner was six. Four was directed by Nimoy. You're yep. right. Yes, you're right. Um, and he also wrote a number of scripts as well. Um, this film here is based off a novel by Carl Alexander uh, from the same year. Uh, the film stars Malcolm McDowell, uh, best known for uh, Clockwork Orange. Uh, David Warner. Um, I know him best from The Omen. And then Mary Steinbergen, who uh, Steinbergen is yes, a very German name. They're all no. They're yeah, all it's two E's though. It's definitely Stein. Yeah, you're right. Like Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Stein. Yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, Mary Steinberger, Bergen, uh, she uh, is also one of the stars. Uh, and another. Uh, actually, all three are, are fantastic uh, character actors over the years. Uh, and this was when they were. A-lister still. Um, and it's so, kind of interesting because at the end of the movie, um, Steenburgen and um, Malcolm McDowell married because of this. In movie. real life. Yeah. Of course, they didn't stay together, but, you know. It's right. Well, similar to H.G. Wells and, and Amy Robbins, too. Uh, or... Uh, uh, so we'll, we'll discuss all that, too. But uh, either way, uh, the film uh, received generally good reviews, though it was not a box office, a box office hit. Um, the film um, was one of the big films that played over and over on HBO during its infancy. And so uh, a lot of folks uh, our age know of the film, uh, especially because of that. Uh, I do remember watching it a couple of times with my mom as well as just my myself. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it. So uh, I guess we can discuss uh, how we heard about this film, 
and what we thought about it. So, Kevin, you're you're uh, uh, the sometime co-host. Why don't you start? Um, with this movie. Sorry, I yes. couldn't hear the. Okay, sorry, I I couldn't hear part of it. Um, I I remember seeing this movie years and years and years and years and years ago on HBO when it was like HBO Cinemax, and that was it. Um, it was one of those. I think it was a snow day movie or something. Like we had a snow day and it was on, and I and I watched it and I I really had fun with it. And eventually we actually uh, we recorded my my family and I we had we recorded it on on VHS uh, you know when it was on HBO again so we watched it if you, we might have still have it on VHS somewhere. Speaking of time machines, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, I I've seen. I, it's also interesting because in this movie, there's a a very very young Corey Feldman. Uh, in it. Yeah, I was wondering if anybody else noticed that. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, and so it's just, I don't know, I, I've seen David Warner in so many things that, and heard him in so many cartoons and, and animated series and all that. I mean, he's just, he was prolific. I mean, he would be in a blockbuster movie like Titanic, and then he would be in just a... Uh, just a normal British mystery show, uh, like Midsummer Murders or something. I mean, it, he, he was just very wide and um, uh, just talented. And it, it's funny because he rarely did funny stuff, but I remember him a lot also from Time Bandits, where he was <laughs> evil. And he was fantastic in that. He really was fantastic. And that's another movie that I've just watched over and over and over again. And so it's, yeah, tribute to David Warner. Uh, hate to see you go. You you were fantastic. All right. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, for me, um, uh, this this film, uh, I, I saw similar to uh, Kevin. Um, and it was a great film as a kid. Uh, I, I did, was... Um, scared and and uh uh creeped me out that the the two uh, murders that that are kind of on slash off screen depending on your perspective mm-hmm. um david, david warner um i've always thought of as as a good guy because my first encounter of him as an actor was the omen and uh his character in the omen is probably my favorite horror character in the history of all horror films I love that character in The Omen as him as the the paparazzi um, newspaper uh, photographer. And um, so I always looked at him as a good guy. So whenever he popped into other movies and he was a bad guy, I always thought that was weird. Similar to Malcolm McDowell, who this was the first time I ever seen Malcolm McDowell. And I always thought of him as this Malcolm McDowell. So when he got typecast as a villain as well in future films. Um, it was weird as well for me. So uh, that's one irony about this film and David Warner and Malcolm McDowell is that I've always considered them the good guys uh, because of the roles. I remember them and f- the most fondly for. So it, um, it's funny with Malcolm McDowell. I heard him talk at, uh, on, a, on a panel at uh, Dragon Con with David Warner about this. And he said, this was kind of his 
uh, movie where he's like, I'm not naked. I thought pe- people thought I was going to eventually go into porn. You know, because he did this. I mean, he did uh, Clockwork Orange before this, where he was a bad guy. He did Caligula. Cat <laughs> yeah, Caligula. Yeah, and then he was a bad. He was a bad guy in that. He was a bad guy in Cat People and all that. I mean, for him, this was kind of his. I can actually be a good guy movie uh, character in a movie because usually he was a he was a he was a scoundrel. Yep, and we'll get into all that uh, when we uh, wrap up uh, people's. Uh, opinions on this film, but uh, that, that is absolutely true, uh, and and that's why it's so ironic that I, I remember both him and David Warner as the good guys. At least they've always thought I felt that way for me because of the roles I enjoyed them in the most. Uh, so this movie is a high recommend. Uh, it says it's a PG film, but that was before the PG thirteen rating. I, I would put it as a PG thirteen rating, um, especially because of the 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 the, the deaths of the the two. Uh, woman in the film um they were kind of uh disturbing uh but all in all uh big thumbs up for me and uh this is the first time i've seen it in maybe uh 40 years uh to be honest and uh i still uh enjoyed it tremendously uh let's go with you mike yeah so uh let me just about david warner david warner's weird i know i saw him in the omen uh and i was probably five or six when I saw that. Um, and I don't feel I bad him. by saying I saw a taxi driver at 10. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I don't know if I saw the whole film because it scared the hell out of me. And I do remember the decapitation scene. Spoiler warning. Uh, and I had seen Time Bandits in theaters. So I saw him there, but for some we and I absolutely had seen time after time, but for some weird reason, the movie that he is an actor, his face stuck with me and became a recognizable face was from a movie from, I think, 1982 starring Steve Martin called The Man with Two Brains, uh, with also with Kathleen Turner, which is a sort of slapsticky satire comedy. Uh, um it's a fun science fiction thing. This is back when Steve Martin was doing much more wacky stuff than, you know, his more, uh, uh, like family drama. roles uh, yeah, and, and some drama and yeah, stuff like that. Yep. So anyhow, um, but I've always loved him as an actor. I've always enjoyed him. Uh, mentioned in him being in Star Trek, he's in Star Trek five, actually, uh, playing in three different roles. He was a, a, an ambassador in Star Trek five. He was the Klingon emperor in Star Trek six. And then he played a uh, the Cardassian who tortures Jean-Luc Picard in two episodes of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation in the episodes of The Chain of Command. Um, so he could play good. I said Cardassian. I was like, what? Cardassian. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's – so the one – if you've ever seen the meme of Picard saying, you know, there are four lights, that's where that comes from. Uh, so he, I've seen him in good roles, I mean, hero roles and villain roles and usually supporting roles, but, um, he, he did it all. And, uh, unfortunately I know he was supposed to be at scares the care as a guest this number of years ago. And I think that might've been the, uh, one that was canceled due to COVID. So I'm sorry. I never got a chance to meet him and thank him. He's one of those people I would have loved to have met, uh, and thanked personally. But, uh, anyway, so time after time. This was 
big on the cable circuit, as, as several have mentioned. When I got cable, I'm thinking it was 1983. And so this just became something I'd watch many times. And I don't remember it was a, if that was because it was on there for a long time or it was just on there so much in like the span of time. Because just like now, you have things that are on streaming services for a few months or for whatever the contract is. Same thing used to happen with movies on HBO where they're on there for a limited period of time and they just would run the hell out of them on their schedule. So I just remember watching this a lot and loving this a lot as a kid uh, on a rewatch. Yeah. There's certain things that are, are dated specifically some of the visual effects. Um, but I think this is a good example of where if you have a solid script and good actors uh, that will carry the ball a long way towards making a good movie. All right. Sounds good. Uh, let's go with you, uh, Barrett. Yeah, um, starting with David Warner. Yeah, I mean, he seems like an ever-present uh, actor in lots of things. I can just always picture him in Star Trek and all the roles Mike listed and all the movies that Kevin listed. Um, he's just always enjoyable in every role I've seen him in. Um, as far as time after time, it's been decades since I've seen it. Um, I barely remembered it. It, you know, I probably saw it once that long ago. Um, but I... I remember enjoying it and I still enjoy it this time. Yeah. The, the effects are a little, uh, obviously dated, uh, but they actually are for, they're fairly, I don't know if I'd say subtle, but they're, they don't use them too much. Um, so I think the movie's good. It's enjoyable to watch. And like you were saying about the PG 13, I think because of the murders, yeah, that would put it in that realm. So, all right, sounds good. Uh, Eric. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> David Warner. Here, here, here's where he shits on David Warner. Okay, no, well, no, I'm not here to speak ill of the dead. Um, however, uh, I will say <laughs> I, 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 I acknowledge his talent as an actor, for sure. Um, and while I know his name, I'm not all too familiar with his filmography as a whole. Uh, I mean, I'm scrolling through it right now and there's some titles in here that I've seen that I didn't realize he was in like the Star Trek stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I know him obviously from the omen, uh, because he plays a character who has uh, my favorite death scene of all time. Um, so yeah, uh, while I definitely acknowledge his, his talent, uh, he's not something whose career I've been following closely. Um, about this movie in particular, I'm going to be the odd man out here. I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, I think I tried to watch it a long time ago and maybe turned it off because I was bored. Um, I personally find the implementation of the premise of this movie about as dull as you could make it. Um, and just my personal taste. Um, I would have seen, I would have liked to see way more murder and way less love story. Um, <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, so yeah, uh, like I said, I'm not here to talk smack. Uh, this movie just wasn't for me. All right. Sounds good. And, uh, for folks who are, uh, curious about the omen and Eric mentioned his, the best death scene was David Warner's. Spoiler alert, but 
again, it's a 50-year-old movie almost, so or 45 <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, all right, so uh, that's pretty much our thoughts on the film Time After Time from 1979. So, uh, Eric, uh, do we have a wiki or IMDb wiki, wiki. or something? H.G. Uh, uh, Wells pursues Jack the Ripper to the 20th century when the serial murderer uses the future writer's time machine to escape his time period. Eric, that sounds uh, pretty much right. Uh, it <laughs> happens almost Im- immediately. So I'm not too concerned that it, it says that. And uh, it's an interesting premise based off the fact that H.G. Wells wrote the novel The Time Machine. Mm-hmm. Um all right, so uh, at this point, uh, for folks who are new to the podcast or one of our regular listeners, uh, what we usually do here on the Dark Discussions podcast is that we don't just review films. We review, but we also critique and dissect them. So at a point, we're going to throw up the spoiler alert and then discuss anything and everything about the movie. Again, the movie is is uh, 43 years old now, but uh, either, either, either way, it's uh, uh, a somewhat of a cult classic, so not as everybody has seen it, so we are going to spoil it. Uh, but before we do throw up the spoiler, we generally talk about uh, things that are related to the film or the people that were in the film and things like that without uh, actually giving away any of the plot points. Uh, so until we throw up the spoiler alert, we can talk about pretty much general stuff. And I'm not sure, um, if anybody wants to begin, um, Mike, what about oh. you? I, I know you're, uh, Oh, go on. Yeah. Who said that? I, I just wanted to start so I can get me out of the way. Cause I think everybody else has a lot more to say about this movie than I do. Um, which I, I will, I will say that, uh, I did appreciate the acting in the movie. All the acting was quite good. Um, Somebody was talking about the special effects. Yeah, they've aged, but for 1979, not too bad. Um, and mainly uh, the the pacing of this movie uh, is what took me out of it. Um, like I said, I would would have heard a lot more Jack the River activity in the movie than I got. Um, those are those are my general thoughts. Let me say that I think all right. The reason why Eric is not 100 percent wrong on this, um, 97 <laughs> maybe. But no, this is, um, it is very much of its time. It feels, it is not a big budget film. In some ways, it almost feels like a TV film. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know I, if it was made for television. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I've talked about how, you know, you still were getting, uh, and this is not a hammer release, despite the, the, uh, Brits in the cast this, but I, uh, like you were getting hammer films and amicus films still being released in the seventies in the same era that you had movies like the Omen and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Exorcist. And they still felt like they were made in the sixties, right? They just hadn't completely updated in tone and style and pacing. And quite frankly, in the, 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 the graphicness of their, their, uh, uh, brutality of their horror. And this feels a lot more like it's coming out of that school because of its 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 style and it's it's, it's, uh, it's it is deliberately paced um it is not gruesome and gory there there is a severed hand at one point is about as far as it goes they very much gloss over the grimier details of jack the ripper and his victims uh 
So yeah, if this is a if you're looking at this as anything other than as a, as a horror film, you're you're bound to be disappointed. It is it is much more um, a science fiction half thriller, half romantic comedy. Mystery you know, it's thriller. Just, yep. Yeah, it's a mystery. It's well, it's even not much of a mystery because we know we know for a very bad setup in, in the first ten minutes of the film who the killer is, right? Because, yeah. um, well, it's intentional. They want. Oh, well, it's intentional. But like they, we we start with it's a it's a and it, this was just a weird choice to me, where you start with the with uh being in the eyes of Jack the Ripper, picking up a prostitute, and killing her in the in the alleyway, and she and he says his name is John. Then we cut to the H.G. Wells dinner party, and David Warner walks in. And they go, oh, hi, John. So it wasn't exactly <laughs> a nuanced, you know, oh, I never would have caught that. You know, it's right. It's like right there for you. And then within five minutes, Scotland Yard has showed up to arrest John, basically, uh, or they discover. And, and so yeah, the, the premise of not showing us his face for the first couple of minutes of the film is just a little bit weird and puzzling because it's a, a convention that's completely thrown out the window within minutes. All right, fair enough. Uh, but I will say I did like there's an effect. I don't know how intentional that was and how much of that was just a limitation of what you could do with a fog machine at the time. Whereas you're following a prostitute and you're watching, you can kind of see that the fog is almost following her and creeping in on her. And again, I don't know if that was intentional or just a happy, a nice happy coincidence, but I kind of like that the way that was done. Yeah, yeah. Um, for folks who are curious, uh, the film starts in 1893 in the Victorian era, uh, so it's it's very much, um, uh, I guess, very gothic, very hammer-like, as Mike said. It's, uh, I guess, very um, uh, atmospheric, and um, they do what Friday the 13th did a year later um, with the eyes of the killer. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Um, I guess I, I didn't, I didn't feel it was, was as out of place as I guess you did, Mike, but, uh, it, it was suspenseful all the same. And, um, uh, it tricks us to, to make us think it's going to be a different type of film than it turns out to be. Um, um so yeah. So yeah. And it was a dis- Disturbing scene too, I think, Mike. Um, for a nine-year-old, when I watched it, uh, and then even rewatching it now, and the way they they shot the murder scene with the hearing of the ripping of the the, the dress and the corset with the knife, and then um, I always felt the use of the the watch, um, if it's uh, music, a musical uh, watch. Uh, was creepy at the time when I watched it back when I was nine and it kind of, I felt it was still t- uh, today. Um, all right, so, uh, yeah, go on. I want to mention one thing. I'm sure you guys noticed this, but when they came out of the theater and it said the exorcist four. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. That was kind of, <laughs> yeah. thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the that. film uh, takes place. 
uh, when they do go into the future, the film takes place in the present day, which is 1979. So um, I guess that must have been the film that was there at the time. And, and uh, uh, they were doing a nod and wink to horror films, even though uh, this wasn't 100% horror film, even with Jack the Ripper and some what I felt were the Exorcist um, 4 wasn't disturbing deaths. Yeah, what, there was no Exorcist 4 there, then. Right, there was no Exorcist 4 at that time. Oh, how about that? See, so it doesn't—it didn't even exist. That, that's that's why I thought it was even funnier. <laughs> yeah, I'm not—I'm not too up uh, on the, on the Exorcist films except for the first one uh, myself. So uh, that's interesting. Um, now, uh, where else do we want to talk about that's general stuff without getting into spoilers? I did want to mention that uh, the c- composer, uh, the score for the film was by Nicholas Raza. Who um, it was like one of his last films, where he did like one or two after this before he passed away. Uh, but he was an Academy Award nominated uh, composer who did such films as Ben Hur, among others. Uh, so he was like a Hollywood legend um, as well. Uh, um, and so that was a coup for for uh, this production to get him. Um, one thing you know, I did- uh, anything else. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. There was one thing is that during that that panel, they said uh, in the theaters it was a flop. I mean, it did not do very well at all. It was thanks to that things like it, the things like uh, like HBO and, and VHS and all that that really uh, elevated it and, and made people uh, start watching it and having fun with it. Yeah, this this is a film pre. Um films like like uh austin powers and things like that where they became hugely popular popular when they made it to cable and video on demand and or vhs versus uh their initial run in theaters uh this was another one absolutely that was like that and and it was became big enough that as, as you mentioned kevin they were able to do a uh, um a panel about the film uh, at, at a major convention. Uh, what was it? San Diego Comic-Con? What was it? Or a different one? Dragon Con. Dragon Con in Atlanta. Oh. Yeah, that's a huge one, too. So that's actually probably the second biggest after San Diego. Um, so, so yeah, the film did become pretty popular and huge uh, for a good number of years uh, after its release when it hit uh, the television uh, cable networks. Um, anything else anybody want to bring uh, that is general. Right. I assume Mike would have wanted to bring up a lot of stuff because Mike likes his film probably as much as I do. Um, but let's, uh, I guess, throw up the spoiler alert since uh, um, there was a quietness uh, there and uh, we can get into everything and anything about the film. So at this point, you've been warned that we will spoil this film. Um, and talk about everything and anything. If you're interested uh, to see this film, it is available on video on demand uh, purchase or rental, uh, and it also has a Blu-ray uh, that I believe is released by Warner Brothers uh, that has a direct, uh, not a, I think a producer's commentary. Uh, it has a commentary on it with, a, I think, a handful of people. Uh, so uh, folks can uh, watch it that way as well. Uh, readily available on your online retail stores. Um, all right. So uh, where do we want to begin, Mike? What, what do you want to start? What do you want to talk about? I mean, you start with the premise, and I've got a weird. Yep. I certainly didn't have 
have this feeling when I was whatever, 12 years old watching it, but it's a thing as I'm older. I think it's a, it's a, just a delicious premise, right? H.G. Wells chases, chases Jack through the Ripper through time. Um, right, but, the author like of the it, Time Machine book actually figured out how to make a time machine. Right. Um, and, and there are definitely issues with the, the premise. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm by no means a Wells expert, but I, I wasn't aware that he had any uh, pension for invention. You know, if uh, I, I mean, I could be wrong about that. But nevertheless, he hadn't. You move by that just to do by the premise, right? By the premise, by the bit. Um, but, you know, it's, as I'm getting older, remember, this is 1979. So it's really only been 90 years since uh, Jack the Ripper uh, period. And that seems less long ago now than it did when I was 12. Uh, and, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, like, when does it become tasteless to use a real life incident like this? People's real genuine deaths for, you know, basically Pulp Fiction. And, um, but, you know, 10 years before this, or 13 years before this, they did the Star Trek episode where Jack the Ripper was an alien entity on the Enterprise. Um, you know, you have... Uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood using Charles Manson and and it's just this weird thing when does it go from when does it become tasteless to do this you obviously don't make the Jack the Ripper movie that you know right after Jack the Ripper is killing people um, yeah well that you know it's interesting about this Mike is that uh, the f- times uh, the film was 79 uh, Jack the Ripper was um the 1890s, so so we're talking uh, about 80, 90 years ago when when the film was produced, and and as you mentioned, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, um, that murder uh, with the Charles Man- Manson stuff, uh, that was like 55 years ago. So uh, it is interesting how um, the two murders were only only a score of years apart from when the films were made about those murders in a fictionalized setting. Um, so that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it ever is not tasteless, but um, uh, it, it never occurred to me in either of those two films, this one or the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, because, again, we, we, we see a lot of films – uh, about wars and stuff that are fictionalized. So even though this is a smaller incidences and, uh, and whatnot, um, I guess it could, could be considered, are uh, you, you implying that it may be considered tasteless? I, I don't know. What, what was your, well, I don't know. I'm saying at what point does it stop? What does it become not tasteless? Right. I don't, there was nobody protesting right. this film. There was nobody protesting that episode of Star Trek, but I promise you if they were, uh, making a science fiction episode of uh, Babylon 5, in which it turned out an alien really killed O.J. Simpson's wife back in 1995, there would have been protests, right? Um, right. At, at, at some, when does that when does that line get crossed? I guess is what um that that just is a thing that's that's in my head. You know, we all know the oh, it's too soon meme, right? It's too soon to joke about that. Well, when is it too soon to ex- to explain right. real world tragedy? 
Uh, we lived through that with 9-11. And even, you know, people were protesting uh, United 93 by uh, was it Paul Greengrass because uh, they said it was too soon. You know, but and that but even that was a respectful reenactment as opposed to, you know, some sensational a, a true fictionalized. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I know, you know, the movie Zodiac that came out by David Fincher a couple of years ago, uh, actually probably much longer now, uh, time flies, and that film's actually kind of old now, too. Um, and and that was a non, it was a based on fact without sensationalizing, right? So that I guess that would be considered a different type of film, just as... as United 93 is a different type of film than, say, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Time After Time, which are fictionalized, quote-unquote, B-movies, intentionally B-movies, um, using real-life tragedy uh, and serial killers, or spree killers, if you prefer. Um, so that's a, that's a fair point, Mike. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. Uh, what, what do you think, Kevin? I really don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, you know what it is? It's more of a rhetorical question, I think, Mike, because you're right. It's, it's like, you know, how do you answer that? Um, right. I, I mean, it's so it's a it's a it's a you, you kind of got to roll with it and go by feel. I mean, look, Jack the Ripper is. We have a fascination with serial killers as one of the first. Uh, well-known serial killers. And then a serial killer who's was never caught, and then just the very public and brazen way that he he killed people and like left the messages and um it wasn't just like uh son of Sam shooting people in a car uh just the details of the Jack the Ripper cases are so uh grotesque. You understand why it yeah. why why it's stuck in and in, in the in our minds for the last you know hundred and something years, hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty years, and why it's going to continue to be hanging out there, you know, for a long time. You know, when we've maybe all for, when people have forgotten about, you know, maybe John Wayne Gacy or uh or, or somebody else like there, Jeffrey Dahmer. Um so so yeah, it's just it's just a it's some something makes me think that I'm maybe because they never caught him. He may be in a weird special category all on his own. I mean, he's also been sensationalized. Well, also, he's been sensationalized because I mean, he's been kind of he's been a legend. I mean, yes, he's he was a real person, but he was a legend. You know, all this speculation on who he was, which made it even more. Because people would talk about it. Who do you think it is? I don't know. Do you think it's this guy? Do you think it's that guy? And then, I mean, even over a hundred years later, people are still doing specials on who they think this guy was. I mean, they had move. They still have movies on him, like uh, the I think it's uh, From Hell uh, with Johnny Depp, and they even did. Uh, I remember around in the the later eighties, early nineties, they did a. Uh, um, uh, a, a miniseries on TV with Michael Caine as the the inspector looking for him. So it it was. I mean, this this guy is he kind of went from he, he went he became a legend, and right. especially when people still don't know who he is, it's still 
it's i mean it it's it's still kind of a fascinating thing i mean when i i visited england a couple times and one time i literally took a jack the ripper tour we went to the pub where all of the victims would hang all the, we went to the pub where all the victims hung out we would go to as close as we could to the different sites where the victims were found i mean this was a tour you know, I mean, and, and people were going and they're eating this up. They're just they're just utterly fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know that they've, they've always said that it could have been uh, there was this Polish immigrant that was a butcher. And then they have also said it could have been uh, uh, aristocratic uh, medical doctor. Uh, but it was either someone that that knew anatomy, whether it was for food purposes or for medical purposes. Um, but I also think one of them and, lived and in St. Louis and is now buried in Rochester. Now the, the one that you mentioned, uh, from hell, that film, um, I think showed the more interesting aspect of that time period. Um, because the, that whole film takes place in that time period, which is Victorian, uh, the outfits, the, the wealthy, but also the underbelly, um, they, you know, they should have had absinthe and, and opiate dens and brothels, never mind fancy castles and uh, psychiatric wards and all these other things. So it, it's just an interesting time period in a specific country and a specific city, too, um, that make it interesting. Um, and then, of course, as, as you said, Kevin, uh, for uh, the fact that he's not been discovered no one knows who it was they didn't have dna evidence back in those days and then of course with what you said mike too which is the grotesque um way he he uh killed his victims and, and what he did to the bodies after are like just ridiculously uh offensive um so yeah yeah it's 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 an interesting uh story and and you can find documentaries on youtube and things like that that uh, are very very interesting to uh follow um yeah one of the earliest really true crime things right yeah i want to mention um from hell is actually based on a graphic novel by alan moore and alan moore is sort of the uber comic writer of the last 40 years um and he researched the hell out of that um, so now he does solve <laughs> the Jack the Ripper case in his mind. Uh, and he has a little bit of a weird mind, even as he's, though he's a fantastic writer, that may be why he's a fantastic writer. Uh, so one could argue it's going into conspiracy theory territory, but it, this is one of those speculative fiction books and therefore films about who Jack the Ripper might actually be. But if you take that part out of it it is again really really very well researched jack the ripper tales and will present a lot of factual information even if his final conclusion may or may not be right um as to who the the killer is sure sure and and uh, um the movie itself uh, i haven't read the graphic novel but the from hell movie uh was was a, was a great film I, I enjoyed that tremendously and um it was uh, um, one of those films that I, th- I think are, has been listed on, on our uh, Patreon that, that 
could randomly be picked someday as a, an episode. Um, now, uh, back to uh, uh, the film. Uh, so they, they make this fictional, and I assume he's fictional, uh, character uh, named uh, Dr. John Leslie Stevenson uh, as uh, Jack the Ripper, played by David Warner. Um, and he's caught to dental rights, and so he flees using the time machine that H.G. Wells shows his dinner guests um, before uh, they have dinner, and uh, or, or, or basically after they have dinner. And, and um, they just think it's a prop, rightfully so, but obviously um, uh, Jack the Ripper... Uh, <laughs> felt otherwise i think um, he's kind of bragging there don't you think because i mean i would never have explained my cool time machine to my friends oh you're just a dick yeah. well that's true but still here's this key this is exactly what it does <laughs> well he's explained well here's the thing i mean i was explaining for us the audience right you explain for us your I know why. If there's, if, there's, if there's an aspect of the writing of this film that I really do not like, it is the time machine itself, because it's such an overly complicated device, strictly to explain how to get the mechanism of the film to work. Because Jack the Ripper has to steal the time machine, the time machine has to come back. You have to explain why the time machine comes back, and then you have to explain why the time machine spoiler warning turns into an execution device at the end of the film. Yep. You know, so there's a it's this all weird, and then there's things that are put in there, like you point it to the east, it goes forward in time. You point it to the west, it goes back in time. So, or maybe you got that backwards, but there's you know, it's things that don't actually end up in the plot as as part of the issue. So, um, it's it is a little bit of a a, a weird film in that regard. Fan service, maybe. I don't think it's Spencer. I mean, it's, it's, it is all just overly exposed and overly complicated. Um, I think there might have been better ways to to figure that out. But this is it is basically well, this is how we want the story to play. How do we rationalize it? Uh, within right. yeah, yes, so some of the devices in in that I've just explained about the time machine are most likely created directly for the film uh for sure like like the the special key that um you can pull that that basically makes jack the ripper die but uh, i wouldn't be surprised and again i haven't read the book since the 1990s and i haven't seen the the adaption either um that that came out in the early 60s for about 10 years now but i wouldn't be surprised if some of those things like if the time machine's facing west it goes into the future and if it's facing east it goes into the past those things may come right out of the book so i was thinking some of that that don't take place in the plot of this movie may have just been fan service for those who were familiar with the book uh or the original 1962 movie i think it is um and something, you know, so that's what I was thinking it was, Mike, that maybe it was just fan service, some of it. Well, if it's in the book, there's still, whether it's written in the book or whether it's in the film, it's all there. It's an overly complicated device to get the story 
to, to justify the, the weird time mechanics of the film. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It also could be there to extend the Victorian part of the movie too. Maybe I'm I don't think sure. that's it. it. It's it's all just it's all just exposition because there are all again all there's all sorts of things people would be asking about. Um. Yeah, that's true. That 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 if they didn't explain it, like why did Jack the Ripper send the time machine back to him? Well, because there's a key that if you don't have the key in there, the time machine automatically bounces back. It's like so that way you can strand yourself in whatever time that you left. That's just there's there's just some silly right, right. Well, I mean, how else is he gonna right. go go back and and get and, and chase after Jack the Ripper? I mean, they had the they had right, the, right. that. I, right, and and I did like how they did have the last date that was used to go into the future, which, which happened to be the first time the machine was, was used, um, was, you know, November, whatever, 4th or something, or November 7th, uh, 1979. So our hero, H.G. Wells, played by Malcolm McDowell, knew where the, the film, I mean, where, where the film, well, not the film, we knew where the film was going, but where the time machine landed, what, what date. So if he just went, turned the key and pressed the button, he would pop exactly where David Warner was. Um, so I, 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 I kind of like that. So so it, it set it up that he wasn't just going to randomly pop up in 1945 or 2022. Um, so, there, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's definitely as like you said, Mike. You know, there's a lot of exposition and things set up to get it to where it was going, which is they wanted the film to take place in 1979, where Jack the Ripper lands up in the present day at the time that film was made, and it would be a fish-out-of-water type of film. Um, so, uh, but, but you know, I think, I think it's like you said, Kevin, it was, you know, that, that's how, how you get the premise to go. I mean, uh, one thing that I did have a question of is, like, how did it end up in San Francisco? Because I mean, right. it, I mean it, that I mean that's I know. Granted, I mean you can make the argument that because he went back in time, you know, it's like at the end he goes back in time and he leaves the machine there, and then they find the machine and they bring it to San Francisco. But I mean, it, it's kind of funny that nobody bothered to try it or nobody bothered to examine it and, or anything like that. It was just he just happened to okay, he's in San Francisco now. And the thing is, is that stuff like that, I just figured I, I'm not going to I don't want to nitpick on that just because I enjoyed the movie. And it just it's kind of the suspend your suspend, the kind of stop thinking too much and just and just enjoy the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that the mechanics of it for me would just work. A lot of it would have fit if they just said that the occupant of the machine travels through time wherever the machine is at that while it exists at that point in time. That right, makes any right. sense. Well, and, well, and you know what? I think the reason the time machine was in San Francisco was because that's where it, it, you know, you would think, okay, it would just be in the same location that it was. No, the earth turns. It, so it, it's eight hours later. He was saying San Francisco. 
But isn't it a coincidence yeah, yeah, that he ends up exactly where the time machine is in actually 1979? Maybe. It wasn't like people went, oh my God, there's a time machine here materializing <laughs> out of nowhere. That There's an exhibit well, there. Well, and I think that's the, that's what I was going to say. That's why it landed up in San Francisco was because the, it was a traveling H.G. Wells exhibit that happened to be at a museum in San Francisco, right? Because uh, as we said in the past, you know, obviously the earth turns and the earth also goes around the sun and also the solar system is part of a galaxy that actually travels through the universe. So right. technically we're never at the exact same location anywhere in, in space, even if we're in the same location on the planet earth in space, still never in the same place. So technically you could argue that if he went into the future, he would land up in the middle of that, the empty space and die. Yep. <laughs> but I just heard you talking about this with, uh, with your last, ep- with your, one of your, uh, recent episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Howard's mill. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you went into pretty big detail on that one. Yeah, yeah. So, and and it, it kind of works for this film as well. But I think the reason he was in San Francisco is because since it was a traveling exhibit, it's where the time machine is located. Well, is where the real question there. is why is it set in San Francisco? And yeah, I question. and my and, and I think the fact that you had the probably the big thing at the time this was being made, I don't know about the, the book, was that it was um, uh, the Zodiac Killer had been around that time. And for those of us who were alive in the 70s, if you were to ask where would be the weirdest possible place you could drop somebody in the West at that time that was a time traveler, San Francisco probably would have been like the number one answer. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, even though San Francisco was a bit odd back in those days during that time san francisco was was a shining jewel of a city uh generally for uh the united states unlike the issues that it has today so um you know you know i remember uh debating with my brother was new york city or san francisco a better city to visit and they both have their problems but um, I had, I said San Francisco and he said New York, um, but nowadays you know you, it, it would be different. But this, at that time in '79, San Francisco was 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 like you know city everybody wanted to visit. Um, so that would put it on the map. Um, but I, I do agree though, Mike. Um, it was kind of arbitrary that it was San Francisco versus you know just keeping it in london or 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 somewhere else um i think they wanted the fish out of the water even more pronounced is why they did it but can't say for sure 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 yeah and and uh that first you know 20 15 20 minutes uh well it was funny um gave some humor to the I- film I will say that uh, the fish out of water stuff was some of my favorites. In fact, uh, there's one moment in the movie that just flat out made me laugh out loud. And it's when uh, he gets to the cab and says, as quickly as possible, take me to the high end. The cab driver just like. (laughs) That was hilarious. That was awesome. (laughs) Uh, I I, I did like uh, how uh, the Big Mac was only 95 cents back in those days. That was pretty awesome. (laughs) 
Yeah, that, was not the, that was not the, I mean, the that, time anomaly you were supposed to be noticing. The <laughs> ashtrays on the table in McDonald's. That was killing me. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I, uh, love, I just like to think, being fascinated by plastic. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just, I've never seen one like this before. But, I mean, it's like, I mean, he's like impersonating the guy in front of him. He's going, Big Mac, fries, oh, and tea, please. You know, they're kind of like, what? Wait, huh? And then, I mean, him trying to wave down a cab because, you know, he sees a woman take her hat off and kind of wave the cab. So he does the exact same thing. And one of my fa- it's like uh, one of my favorite yeah. parts was he's talking with Mary Steenburgen in, uh, in the in the restaurant and she's looking at his suit. He says, are they wearing that in London? He, he says, are, are people wearing that in London? He says, well, they were when I left. I don't know. There's just a lot of really funny little bits in there, even just with the, the garbage disposal. You know, he drops the spoon in there, he turns it on, he's rah, and he pulls out the spoon, it's all bent. He's like, oh, interesting. Right, and before she walks in, he he, he hides it in his pocket. So she didn't, he, he pockets it, notice. yeah. He's like, yeah. oh. And little things like yeah. the phone, like, you know, when, she, when Mary Steenburgen tells her, you know, I'll give you my number, and she pantomimes using a phone, and he's like, Yes, and he's just punching the da, 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 air da, 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 randomly. Da. Yeah, da 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 da. And then later, right. when he actually does pick up the phone to talk, and he doesn't know what the hell the device is, and he has no idea, and he's like, has no idea how to use the receiver. I thought that was just a nice right, little right. bit of subtlety. Yes, yes, uh, I did like that as well. Um, that was that scene was was pretty funny, um, especially I felt like um, I, I did. Uh, um, enjoy his thinking that the world would be uh, a utopia and and so that was his main worry was oh my god jack the ripper went to the future and he's going to bring evil to the utopian world and then when he gets there obviously he finds out uh it's just more modern but people are still people and jack the ripper uh when he when he, he finally confronts him at the hotel the hyatt he Jack River explains that he feels uh, okay in this world because there's a lot of bad people in this world, and that basically people are still people. There, there, there always will be bad people. Uh, there always will be bad things in the world. What do you say about uh, people? People suck. People suck. Well, I well, mean, that's what he, he says. Warren. He's an amateur compared to. What's going on there now? Yeah, well, it's it's funny because I mean, even before when they were playing chess, you know, uh, Warner's character Stevenson says he says he talks about he says there there will be no utopia. You know, it's like man has always been how we are. We hunt, we are hunted. You know, he 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 got it. I mean, it is though he was a you know crazy. You know, he's mad but not stupid. But I mean, he was—he was a psych, he was uh, a sociopath, literally a sociopath, and but he was right, and yes, uh, he definitely showed H.G. Wells that yes, people suck. Yeah, well, and and you can you can not be you can be completely sane or, and not a sociopath and say the exact same thing that David Warner's character says. Oh, very because, so. So yes, I yeah, could have said yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean. You know, you look back a hundred years ago, or ten years ago, or today. There, there. Are, unfortunately, there's always going to be homeless and mentally ill, and and war and and things. So, it, it's it's 
an interesting concept. And when he says it to H.G. Wells' character, who assumed that you know in a hundred years from now or ninety years from now the world will be a utopia and everybody will be uh, good and all that, it, it really like sinks in big time. Um, and I, I kind of like that because it, it kind of woke him up a bit about the world um, and, and just people in general, you know, because even if he was a famous novelist in real life and, and wrote about um, philosophy and other things as well, um, you know, you, if we could just – any of us right now could say in 100 years from now, assuming China doesn't kill us all in, in the next month, we will have – the exact same type of problems that we have now uh, when it comes to death, destruction, pestilence, mental illness, hatred, jealousies, and and the seven deadly sins, and on and on and on. Um, so I, it was. I thought I thought the David Warner scenes were, were some of the best scenes uh, in the film, especially when uh, they discussed life in general, whether it was during the Victorian time or. In, the present 1979 well one thing i also noticed uh was that david warner's character adapted very quickly like with dress and everything i mean he would buy modern day suits and even like the the the, sun, the sunglasses that were more of a squarish you know he he really um fit in very well well yeah, i he, think that's he, he, that, he got it i think that's a thematic thing right that that's what he's saying, right? That, that that this is his time, right? That this is where he belongs, uh, and you know that uh, when he says, you know that they, you know, the world has gotten, you know, uh, the, the worse and more cruel uh, and more vicious. So I think that's just a sign that you have Malcolm McDowell is running around, H.G. Wells is running around as a fish out of water, where he just slots right in. Um, I do like the, you know, this is something I can appreciate now that I know more about Wells as a person than I did when I was 12 or 13 is talking about Wells as actual, his, his politics, which was, he was big in socialism and, uh, and like free love, free love to the point where he just reason he divorced his wife is because she, he would sleep around on her constantly. Um, but they didn't really seem to want to do that one. Right. Um, Even after he married this Amy Robbins in real life. He had two children out of wedlock with two right. different women. So, yeah, but continue. Um, yeah, and some of it was also, I mean, there are political statements made. Uh, I did look up because, you know, oh, my God, you could buy a gun in San Francisco. Well, I, I did look that one up. You could do that in England in uh, 1880, 1890, whatever it was, too. So you really would not have been shocked by that. Um, yeah, so it's a weird it's it's a weird thing. He did have these utopian ideals. Uh, and, and part of me sort of <laughs> enjoys the fact that he gets that, that balloon punctured. Yeah. Felt, felt it, it was realistic. David Warner, no matter if his character was the evil character, he, you know, used logic better than, than, uh, the HD Wells character because his, the logic was, is okay. We, we've seen the past. We saw, wars and empires fall and all this stuff and his character um was a realist while hg wells character was a dreamer and and maybe that's the reason why uh, uh the real hg wells could write 
all these type of books and also, I guess, write about um, uh, utopianism and socialism and things like that. And, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, H.G. Wells versus George Orwell and both of them are British authors to the greatest of all time. And, and George Orwell was the complete opposite where he saw dystopianism and uh, um, how, how people he, – he was basically, basically – you could – Jack the Ripper was basically quoting George Orwell um, in this movie. It was, it was kind of interesting, I felt. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, uh, what did you guys uh, think of – oh, oh, you know what else I thought was funny was, was how he went over to his, his uh, book shelf and opened the drawer in the museum and his glasses were there and he just switched, switched them out. It was kind of funny. I thought that was funny too. That was cute. Um, but, um, and, and they got rid of the hat too pretty quick. Cause the hat was kind of funny for the time period. Yeah. He's wearing like a deer stalker cap, you know, which is like sort of the, right. The, the cap. Yeah. And he was calling himself Sherlock Holmes, not knowing that Sherlock oh, Holmes right. would be so fa- famous. Right. Right, right, yeah, yeah. That that was hilarious. When, when he went to the police, he didn't want to give his name, and so he used, uh, he f- made his name Sherlock Holmes, uh, <laughs> not not assuming that Sherlock Holmes, the character, would be as famous as say James Bond or, or whatever. Ninety years later, so they just thought he was a quack, and I thought that was that was pretty awesome. And that was pretty funny too. Yeah, it was really <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um. Now, um, where else do we want to go? Uh, what do we want to talk about? Um, uh, what scenes or, or uh, um, parts of the movie did anybody want to bring up that we haven't yet? Anything? I, you know, I might have missed this, but why did he have all that jewelry on him? Oh, that that he before he left, he knew that he needed money. Okay, and, I just wanted to make and, sure I did. Yeah, he miss said that he then. had to trade. With the, he might have to trade with the natives. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I missed yeah, that yeah, whole that, part. I don't know how, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's why he had all all the stuff. And you know what's funny too is that the first pawn shop he goes to would have paid him four thousand dollars, and the second pawn shop uh, he misunderstood that it was four thousand. He thought it just meant four hundred. So the second pawn shop that didn't check to see if the, the stuff was stolen. Just gave him four hundred for all the stuff. It was kind of funny. Yeah, he also saw the the tattoo on the guy's arm, and he had no idea what it meant. Right, right, yeah, because uh, that I remember that um, like it was yesterday when I saw the film when I was nine. Um, but yeah, the first uh, pawn shop slash jeweler was a concentration camp survivor, I guess, right? Right. That's why he had. And that's when he says, yeah. you should, "Did you say World War?" He says, "Yeah, World War Two." Then later on, when he's uh, with Mary, he's at Mary Steenburge, and oh, I met my husband during during the protest of the war. Ah, the Second World War. Well, how old do you think I am? The third World, World War Three, <laughs> Vietnam. Oh, oh, Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh boy. Yeah, I do think yeah, it's nice. odd. Like that, the tattoo on the arm is something I probably would have missed the significance of because I didn't, I was not aware of that as a fact in when I was like in, in high school uh, or probably middle school was really uh, when that was, but um, it's weird that they have him notice that, but he never finds out what that means. Yeah. That's what I thought. Right. It had no significance other than that's, him seeing it. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point, Mike. Um, uh, that's a really good point because it, they show it, but but they don't really uh, go into it after that. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because again, uh, as we mentioned uh, in prior episodes of this podcast, uh, myself, Mike, all of us actually were were born only. 25 years or so after World War II. And now, as we're recording this today, Vietnam was was double that frame from, from when uh, we were born versus World War II. So, Vietnam. Yeah, we're, we're, it's kind of crazy to think that, that World War II was only 25 years earlier than our birth, while Vietnam, for anybody that was born today, it's 50 years or 45 years. That's kind of crazy. Um, I do want to point out that this was not the last movie in which Mary Steenberger would play a character that at the end of the movie, she rides off with somebody in a time machine to live happily ever after. <laughs> she didn't get yeah, it. I think that was three. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, and um, she actually. Which movie was I, that? Right I missed it. Back to the Back Future to 3. Oh. three. Right. Yeah, and um, she she mentioned that uh, in an interview that it was it was intentionally she was picked for the that film and and that role because of of this film here because the um, Zemeckis I think it was that did the third one uh, was a yeah. fan of, of this film and and so he wanted to do a wink and a nod to this film and his film so that's kind of funny. Um. Let's see. Um, what else? And also, I've been I've been kind of quiet, but I do just want to say that I really um, I liked the line at the end of the movie when he's trying to leave without her, when he tells her that uh, his life is really quite important to him, almost as important as hers. I thought that was a nice line. It was nicely delivered. That was yeah. an awesome line, dude. I agree. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was it's uh, yeah. When when you're someone's in love, they would say something like that for sure. Um, and uh, speaking speaking of of uh, I said that to my prior girlfriend before my wife. But I also said, Eric, there's a great story. You'll love this one. When my wife and I were dating, uh, she asked me. And she must have known the same thing that that you kind of figured out about me. She said, if we were walking in the woods and a bear came up, would you throw yourself in front of me and let the bear eat you so I could have... <laughs> I can't no. she asked me that question when we dated. Well, I mean, oh, wait, I, 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 said, I just have to be no, faster than you're you. You're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm faster well, than you. Well, here's the advantage of you that. Are, that's what I told her. Is that there's the, the odds are that she'll never she'll she'll never know, so she doesn't have to find out the truth. Um, <laughs> and 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 if she does ever find out the truth, it won't matter because she can't hold it against you because you'll be dead. She'll be dead. She'll just yep, won't matter. Matter yep. no, because bears are actually quite friendly. They don't want to hurt you. They just need a hug. Please, 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 bears. Well, I think you should go that for us. I, well, I told her that I would. I would. Feels closer. I would, I would do that, but but I believe me, I would I I would be trying to run the hell out of there too. Right? <laughs> oh, yes. Bill, Bill, the answer is yes, yes, I would. That's the only right answer. 
You don't actually yeah. have to do it. That's true. You're not. That's yeah. not going to be held against you in a court of law, didn't you? You know, Phil, didn't you yep. say before yep, you yep, married her? Right. Unless she also escapes yep. the bear. Well, then well, you make well, sure that know, doesn't Mike, happen. It, it, in prior relationships, I would use logic when when people would ask me stupid questions. But after screwing up by using logic and answering it logically instead of what they wanted to hear. Exactly. When my wife asked me this one, I, I, I answered what she wanted me to hear. Yeah, exactly. That took lessons. me a long that took me a long time because it's like my scientific nature to I want to understand all sides. And, and so it took me a long time when my wife came home and complained about a problem she had at work that my correct answer to that was supposed to be, yes, dear, she's a total bitch. That was, that yeah, was what exactly. I was supposed to say. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Not try to understand yep. Yep. the situation from all sides. Just yep. empathy. Yep. That's, That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's empathy. That's all. Yep. Uh, well, what was my best one was that? Blind rage at a person I don't know exists. Right, right. Well, one of my best ones was uh, uh, one of my exes uh, asked me if I was if she was the top of my pyramid, and I said, "Well, I look at it more as plateaus because <laughs> Dick, if you're I already in trouble." If, yeah, well, yep. I, I, I was I was using logic, and I, didn't, I, didn't, I but I was saying, "Well, if I was born in Japan, I would have never met you, so I would have had to look for someone over there." Who what the hell be, are you even talking about? Ah, no, I, I have was, no idea. I, I've got to be you, honest. You I have, suck, Phil. You suck I at have, answering <laughs> questions. I have no idea why I was even asked the question in the first place because they already knew the true answer, which was that she was the top. But, you know, that's insecurity. Then you tell her that. Yeah, but I'm like, Mike, I was using the logic. I, I, it took me a while to learn that you just. Logic never helped anyone. You tell them what they want to hear, and when they say, are you just telling me what I want to hear, you say no, because that's what they want to hear. Exactly. Right, right, right. And, and technically, it was the, it, that would have been the truth anyway, because at the, she was at the top of the pyramid. But I learned that lesson pretty early on. I learned that lesson uh, pretty early on after I, called my, <laughs> I asked my girlfriend why she was being such a bitch. Wow. <laughs> and oh, I had a bad day after that. Ooh, you know who else used logic? Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. How's that for getting us back on track? There we go. Yeah, there I did. Go. Now, by the way, there's a a, a minor theme of the, the chess game between ja uh, Jack and Wells. Because they, they play a game of chess. Uh, yeah. Chess right. at dinner. And he, and he oh, loses something. Because I understand cool. how you think. And, you know, you won't beat me until you understand how I think. And and so there's a couple of references made in their little cat and mouse game. And one of the things I like at the end before he sends Jack off to his final fate is that Jack knows he's been checkmated. And he and something right. I never picked up before in all the times I'd watched this. And like Phil, I had not watched it in probably 35 years or so, um, where he sees that what Wells is about to do. And he nods. He just gives him a quick, like, yeah, nope, do it. You win. Yeah. And I thought that was a nice, that was, a, that was an, in, that, that was a nice nod, like literally a nice touch. I don't know if that was the, in the script. I don't know if that was the actor, you know, as opposed to just having right. Jack go, no, you know, which is what you would expect. Right. You know, I have curses or something. It's those uh, little details that make this movie stronger for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I do think this is something that might that could be remade. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, this would be a good one. Because I don't think that this is a classic in the sense of it's it's not The Exorcist, it's not The Omen, it's no, and they did. Remake yeah, it's, it's a no, classic uh, rather and, than a, a well-known classic. A well-known classic. Right. And honestly, that's my my personal opinion is that's how they should be doing remakes is finding an older movie that didn't do well, but had a cool premise that could be done better now. Um, And I think this, this definitely qualifies. Uh, As long as the audience actually remembers who HG Wells is. (laughs) (laughs) Or or would you update it now that it would be Stephen King comes in the uh, the future to follow the Zodiac killer. Right, right. Yeah, that would be or Michael Crichton or something. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. The, 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 the I liked also how Jack uh, was checkmated because his watch, you know, his watch popped open, and and that that was like his one of his his not only his calling card but his a weakness, and 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 so he was trying to fix watch, and that's why Stein. Christine Berger's character was able to escape from his clutches, and when he jumped into the time machine, it was too late. Um, so I, I did like that, how the thing he used to lure and and, and calling car to kill his victims was the thing that actually was his downfall. Is it weird that I like the fact, I appreciate the fact that they never explain it? Right. I mean, you know, in other words, it's not. Yeah. This is the watch my mother gave me while I was being sexually abused by my father, or something. You know, it's just right because there's a picture of a woman in the watch too, and we never learn who the woman is, why the watch is important to him, and like you said, Mike, is it from because that was his mother who abused him as a kid, or some weird thing? Yeah. So that that's a really good point, Mike. Um, the, the watch has an interesting backstory that we never find out. Right. And like, well, just because there's always that temptation to over-explain, and, and they don't need to do that here. That's not a significant plot point. It just matters that he has it. Why he has it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was kind of creepy. Kind of creepy. Because, uh, you know, we, we were introduced to it when... The, the the drunk woman is in the alley and it seems innocuous and cute. And yet we learn every time he turns it on or, or opens it to play the music, he's about to kill somebody. Um, so it, it was definitely an interesting uh, calling card. And again, like I said, it's not explained what, what, what it's true meaning is to him, the character of Jack the Ripper. So I, like, I did I, wonder if if they did have watches that worked as music boxes all the way back, and I mean they didn't have a, a sound chip. Right, right. That's they, they may you know because it's a winding watch, but but um, I did like how they did focus on the picture of the the woman in it, and 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 the victims who who see the watch, none of them ever ask, oh, who's that woman in the in the picture? So. Um, that's well, he's killing he was a prostitute. I mean, I don't really think she cared. Yeah, you don't usually ask about your the wife when you're the prostitute, unless she's there to well, join in. Well, the, the second, <laughs> the, 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 the girl in the apartment, the girl in the apartment, um, 
she liked the watch too, but she didn't ask who the picture was either. Um, I don't but, think she saw. I don't think she could yeah, see. You may, you, yeah, you may be right. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, but I, I did like how they focused on it because it, it makes you wonder, you know, what did that woman mean to him? Or was it just a watch that he found on one of his victims? You know, it could have been even something like that. We just don't know. It could have been a trophy. There's all sorts of things that you can leave open and the audience can fill in the blank as they see fit. But there are some people who need everything explained out to them. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, anything else that anybody want to bring up? Uh, scenes or, or things that we missed that were on your list to talk about? Oh, let me. All right. Oh, you got something? I think we're done. Um, well, I did think it was funny that he was going to the workers' paradise, the utopia, and he still knew he needed money. Yeah. I think he. You know, I think he just said that there wouldn't be any or something like he was talking about. There'd be no war, no disease. It's like, but there's this always this idea that once we're in a workers' paradise, everyone's just going to give shit away for free. So, uh, oh, and I should, I actually stayed in 1984 in the Hyatt Regency uh, on a trip to California with my parents. Um, In San Francisco. In San Francisco. Yeah, Uh, that that was a fairly famous. I don't, I'm, imagine it's still there, but that was famous at the time for those in, for those indoor glass elevators. Um, yeah, there yeah. A number. Right, right. Um, did you get to go in those elevators, Mike? Mike? Did we lose Mike? Can anybody hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, right, yeah, so he's still on the call, but I can't hear him. Cat said on the button. Mike, uh, hello, uh, are you there? Cat said on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so, uh, so I, so yeah, I did. It was. Uh, now, what are you doing? Get off the keyboard. Off the keyboard. Off the. You, use off your doors, Mike. Use your doors. It won't have doors, so <laughs> that's part of the problem. Anyhow, gotcha. So yeah, so I did, and it's 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 as, as exciting as riding in an elevator. Uh, <laughs> right, right. So yeah, I was actually Fair there enough. at the time of the uh, Democratic National Convention because uh, I, I remember we, we'd gone to Los Angeles, San Diego, and, and uh, San Francisco. And San Francisco was right before the or at the time of the right the Summer Olympics, right? This '84 Olympics were in LA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and so it was the Mondale uh, Geraldine Ferraro ticket. Yes. Gotcha. All right, sounds good. Um, Anything else anybody want to bring up? Anything? All right. Um, I guess uh, that's all we we got for time after time. Uh, We'll give our final thoughts on the film uh, shortly, but uh, we do have some some news and and what we've been watching we can talk about. Um, So... um, Mike, I guess you you can start about about uh, the Skiza Care Convention. Um, me and you and Barrett were there, along with Anthony Thurber and Barrett's wife. Um, uh, I did notice on the way home, me and Anthony were talking about how it seems um, not as attended as well as as last year. 
or the year before COVID. Um, and our, our thoughts were, uh, uh, appeared to be, uh, correct. Right. Uh, it was just an announcement with an hour, right? Yeah, uh, about two hours ago, three hours ago, it was announced that that will be the last of the Steers of Care Charity Weekend events, simply because right. the uh, the cost of running convention now, I guess, has gotten so high. Fan conventions have kind of exploded in the last 20 years, uh, especially if you, and really in the last 10 years. Uh, and if you put, and, and I have no idea how. There's a lot of competition. Celebrity demand is up. And they have said, uh, Joe Ripple, the founder and CEO of Scares of Care, has always said that uh, they would continue to do the show as long as it was profitable. Because it is a charity. They have to worry about the bottom line. Um, there are a lot of charities that are not run responsibly. Not charities, sorry. Uh, conventions that are not run responsibly. And that lose a lot of money um, because they're not run responsibly uh, and they never want to go there is a reason why they never booked huge guests because they, they just the, the financial commitment is ridiculous. Um, I guess right. they just had a downturn in attendance this year. Um, I mean, I know they got eighty five hundred dollars. Yeah, they got eighty five hundred from the hotel as a donation and they got 4500 during the uh the Joe walk. All right. Um and Tim Warburton doing this uh uh charity massage for donations usually raises several hundred dollars. I know they get donations from a lot of the vendors and even so with all of that if they're they're either not profitable or not profitable enough to justify it because truthfully the uh, the board of directors and all the volunteers work their asses off for this, and it is exhausting. And if they're just not, if they're just breaking even or just coming out a little bit in the red, it is not worth all that time and effort. Um, I may be seeing these people in a couple of weeks down in Gettysburg. There's a convention that I may just be going to as a regular attendee, uh, and I hope to find out maybe a little bit more as what what happened with that. Um. Right, and that, that's that's yeah, that's the one that uh, isn't two weeks from now, right? Or yes. three weeks. And from I, now. yeah, and I yeah. find it. Listen, for me, it's it's disappointing, but the charity continues. Um, I'll be doing a fundraiser shortly. Um, I may actually be doing a fundraiser at a local street fair, but they're going to be finding other avenues to raise money. They'll still be having other yeah. events. It's 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 a a, a, a unfortunate thing because uh, you know just right before COVID. Um, they were planning to expand and have have two charity weekends, one in Wisconsin, I think Madison or, or Milwaukee or something, and then one in Williamsburg. And so the charity at that time was was seeming to be very big. And then, of course, COVID hit and that changed stuff, and, and the Wisconsin one was never re-upped or, or re-brought back up. But last year's um, convention, when it, when it appeared, again, from the ashes of COVID – uh, that one was pretty, pretty, pretty popular. I felt and 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 had a lot going on. Um, so for some reason this year it slowed down. But I, I know like like someone on the Scares of Care Facebook group said they went to GalaxyCon. It was the same weekend, and you know you book it, you book it. So it may have been that. 
uh, people go to like three or four conventions a year, and some of them may be out of state. And so people have to choose which ones to go to. Um, and what's worth also, also the, the gas again this year, uh, is, is a huge thing, uh, that, that may have caused a lot of folks not to travel. Yeah. I mean, I was seeing, I saw, and I, I don't, I, I might be wrong about this. This is the danger of only reading a headline. Um, I just caught it right before we went on podcast, a quick headline that said something like the gas demand for gas is at the, is like lower than it was during the pandemic. Uh, is, is prices. Um, and I'm sure the heat this summer hasn't helped. Um, but yeah, it's with, with, with the cost of inflation, which is significant right now. Uh, last year, people had been penned up for a year and they'd missed the, the conventions for a year. They had saved money. They went out and they spent this year. Money is a problem. Who knows? Maybe a couple of years down the road, if financial situations change, they may reevaluate and bring the show back. Uh, but certainly right now uh, it's done and um, it's disappointing. And I will uh, you know, find another way to scratch that itch. I may just end up shifting that money from Scares of Care to the Creature Feature Weekend, uh, which I've been wanting to go to. It's just not conveniently timed for me. Uh, because between right, because right. that would basically and, be and, scares and, and the it's, care. It's literally two. You're right, and two weeks later. It's two, two weeks, weeks after scares the care. One. It's the it's the weekend before school starts, and it's often the weekend after we've done Mystic Connecticut. So that would be Virginia and Mystic and Gettysburg all within a month, and that's that's right. just a lot of demand on time and money for me. So I don't know this makes right. sense. Never never mind the, the drive-in too, right? And then there's a drive-in in October, which I'll, I'll be at, and I've already, I've already booked a table for that, and that drive-in uh, event is in um, uh, out near near uh, Gettysburg or Harrisburg. Uh, it's at the Cumberland Drive-In, and that's also done just as a fundraiser for Scares of Care. Now, um, um, who was who the, the, the performer on Friday night last year? Do you remember? I forget. What was that? Who was the performer on Friday night last year at Scares of Care? I forget. I don't remember. Three years ago, you know, or two conventions as old. That was, was a great one. That was, that was yeah, Joe Bob Briggs. I don't remember if they had somebody last year. Right. Now, the, the one thing that was interesting about the convention is there's a lot of people that went to that convention for the quote unquote family aspect, you know, is you get to see the right. same people and everybody knows each other now for eight years or whatever. Um, but I guess the, the ones that choose and pick conventions were the ones that were, were going to make or break the convention because some of the, the people like myself or you, Mike, that just went for the family aspect, uh, we didn't really care who the guests were. Right. I mean, it was more, right for the charity and stuff, but other people, you know, having to do what they, they, they do with choosing conventions. Never mind, People have all these other charities that they actually donate. I mean, I donate a lot of money to a food shelter, um, locally that, um, I guess it, what really makes or breaks scares a care, are the, the non-family people, the people that will come if there's a guest that they like, or if there's somebody, Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I guess that 
even if they said, you know what, let's still do it, but who cares about the the guests? That that would work because you, it, it make or break. You need the guests, right? The biggest one they might have had, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but might have been the year they had like three guests from uh, Sons of Anarchy there. Uh, and that was right at the end yeah, of that show's yeah. run. So that was just a nice yeah. um, a melt, a nice timing for them. Uh, and that was a, that had a much bigger turnout. And this year's and, guest, and, I don't think, really and, had it. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, and, and and another but, thing yeah. is simply that the, the the autograph prices have gotten insane, and yeah, uh, you know I don't I don't I don't I don't fault someone if someone's willing to pay you you know for sixty dollars for an autograph, I can't blame you for charging sixty dollars for an autograph. Um, right. But when I started going back to conventions ten years ago, because uh, I, I took about a uh, a ten year hiatus, at some point it was. You pay admission to the convention and the autographs are free. And then that changed to a uh, flat admission for the, the uh, and a lower admission price for the convention. And then you pay each individual celebrity for their autograph. Right. Uh, and that was kind of done as a line management yeah. system. But they were $20. And if you had a big guess, it might have been sure. $30. And yeah, huge guess, your Mark Hamels or your, you know, those would have been still charging a pretty penny, but for the most part, most of the people you would see, especially in the horror community were $20 autographs. Yeah. Now $40 seems to be the right. baseline. And then, and then another $20 on top of that for a selfie. Right. So the, now, so the now, practical uh, effect is it's tripled the price. Now, uh, Barrett, uh, what was the other convention at that hotel that you used to go to that now was moved to a different hotel? Uh, MarsCon. Now, MarsCon, they, they they ended the contract with MarsCon, so MarsCon had to go to a different hotel starting next year. Yep. And though this is just this has nothing, there's no backing or, or knowing the truth about this at all. I'm wondering also if maybe um, the the hotel, since as you said to me, Barrett, has new management. Uh, what in the last two years? And and once the MarsCons. Uh, deal ended they didn't re-up it so i'm wondering if if maybe that is the same case with skiers that care too mike that maybe they said you know what thanks joe you know it was great but you know we we, we can't out re-up next year so it could be that too maybe I'm, I'm, but i'm, I'm I know that in the past- it, because it's quince it's kind of coincidental that Moscon at the same time is having to move to a different hotel as well but go on mike but they may have also, in years past, I mean, I remember very early on, uh, there was talk about moving to a new hotel just be- to accommodate more people, because the hotel is not that big. Sure. Um, so right. I imagine they would have at least looked into that opportunity before they would cancel the convention outright. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a curiosity, because uh, yeah, MarsCon did have to uh, move because uh, the ho- same hotel that hosted Scares of Care with the same new management these last two years told Moscon that they weren't going to re-up. So that moved or would have to fold and they decided to move. So I was, I was just curious. Maybe it had something to do with Scares of Care as well. Uh, but again, this is all just assumptions. Um, Alright, so I guess like we move on. conspiracy theories. Well, it, it, it's just, it was just an interesting thing that Barrett mentioned that it was... Um, the, the same year, you know, 
that that one is now gone. The other one had to move to a different location. So it's it's just it was something the wrong. <laughs> Probably. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about uh, uh, some of the uh, Warner Brothers stuff, where they they they, they uh, canceled Scoob Part Two, they canceled Bat Girl, um, and there were six other projects they canceled. I am not up to speed completely. I know there's some stuff going on. Most of it has to do with um, the amount of debt (laughs) that was taken on uh, during the acquisition. Um, So I think it's just it's just book balancing going on. Um, I I I need to get caught up on all the details. Yeah. So basically, uh, from my understanding, and if I'm wrong, apologize. They took on, uh, I, I've heard upwards of, I've heard over this, I've heard between 30 and $70 billion worth of debt. So let's just round it to $50 billion worth of debt, Discovery, when they acquired Warner Brothers. But before, because, before yeah, yeah, because, but, but before you continue, I just want to interject, for folks who don't know, Warner Brothers and Discovery kind of merged, but it, which Warner Brothers merged with HBO. But in reality, HBO was bought by Warner Brothers and Discovery was bought by by um, Discovery bought Warner Brothers, so it's not really a true merger. So it's like you said, Mike, they they, they inherited whatever yeah. Warner Brothers, which includes stuff like uh, uh, ESPN uh, or not ESPN, uh, CNN, I think, and a couple other things that they didn't necessarily want, but they have to have because it comes with the deal. But anyway, continue. Yeah. So. Um I've criticized a lot of stuff that Warner Brothers has done in the last few years that make very little sense. There's been not a lot of great decision-making from on high. Um, and a lot of that's obvious when you see seems to be some of the business decisions that are made. Uh, HBO Max was spending a lot of money on a lot of properties, and it just wasn't making that much profit. The Discovery Channel, Discovery Streaming Service, is, it has far fewer subscribers, makes more money. Now, it makes more money because it's all reality shows that cost a dime a dozen. But in the end, these are businesses, and the profit is their bottom line. Um, unfortunately, like if you have a $50 billion debt, and you cancel Batgirl, which costs 70 to $90 million to make, that is less than uh, 1%. That is, like le- less, that is, I think, 0.2% of that debt. That's an interest payment. And supposedly by canceling Batgirl, they were going to get it as a $100 tax write-off, a $100 million tax write-off as a loss. I was about to um, say $100. Woo-hoo. So it was more profitable for them to can it. And um, that might be a problem with the tax code, but if that is the case, I'm not going to blame the people running the business for taking advantage of that tax code of that loophole. It's there. You and, use al- it. and also if, and also if they felt the film was, was, was really good, they wouldn't have done that. Right. They would have released it. So they made a determination that writing it off, off the taxes was worth more than the value of the film had it been released because they figured it was not going to be by any means a hit. No. The and problem it is, would have been something like Top Gun, or, you know, like Top right, well, Gun the or, or Jurassic the film World or something. Was being made for 
HBO Max. It was not intended to be theatrical. And then there was rumors that maybe it would be theatrical, but it was budgeted to be a TV movie, speaking of time after time and and how it looks. Um, and, and they basically are drawing a line where they're basically saying, as I understand it, if it's for HBO Max or for a streaming service, they're not spending more than $35 million on it. And if they're making it into a, something into a film, then they want it to be a blockbuster and they're going to spend a shit ton more on it. And these middle projects like Black Batgirl and Scoob, which supposedly cost about $40 million, uh, are, are, are just not what they're interested in. So they either want to go big or they want to go very small. I think this is really interesting because I have a funny feeling because in a couple of weeks you're starting up with um, House of the Dragon, which is the new Game of Thrones series. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's not going to come in under $35 million. So I'm wondering how many dragons there will be in season two of House of the Dragon. <laughs> if, if, there is, if, if there is a season two. There, if there is right, even because, a season two. Right. Season right, two, they'll that, just change, change the name of the show to House. <laughs> that's already been done yeah so so like, like well westworld be canceled now right i mean there's a lot of things that could happen um and and uh the the issue is is if if the product like batgirl which is a is a, is a known quantity it's out of dc and all that if it, if the film was that good they would have most certainly released it because people would come on to hbo and, and that aren't subscribing or they would have released it like you said at theaters um, but obviously they, they determined that this wasn't going to bring in Jurassic World Dominion money. So uh, and it may have actually been similar to Buzz Lightyear or Lightyear or whatever that film was, which right. was whether it's a good film or not, it, it was it was a disappointment. So and, and listen, they just and I've liked things that have been on HBO Max, like I've talked about Peacemaker. I enjoyed a lot. And supposedly the second season, James Gunn has said is safe. So that is still going ahead for that. Um, but they did not get a series that had the same sort of buzz as a Stranger Things or The Mandalorian. Um, you know, they tried things like Raised by Wolves and, and stuff like that, and nothing was catching on in the same degree. Even like the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, which got a lot of promotion, a lot of people tuned into it. A lot of people bailed on it after 30 minutes. So. The Zack Snyder Justice League. Oh yeah, right, it's right. four and a half hour Justice League movie. Uh, I liked it. <laughs> I liked it, but again, yeah. if a lot of people yeah. are watching it, if they, if they sunk yeah, over a hundred million dollars into the reshoots for that, and you're getting I, most of your audience failing after thirty minutes, not a good sign. Right. Well, uh, I, I just was asking what it was because I, I couldn't hear you. That's all. Um, yeah, and, and you know they have other shows too. I, like I said, I've been watching Julia, which is about Julia Childs, and, and that's an interesting show. But yeah, I think you're right, Mike. There, there hasn't been any big named shows that really caught on. Uh, I think Peacemaker kind of did a little bit, at least for the genre crowd that we follow. Oh, that I, even that, I don't know if that was that that big. I mean, it's 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 again that thing of you know you're not walking into stores seeing a whole lot of like merchandise for Peacemaker. You know the way you're what you might might have saw you know the uh, Baby Yoda merchandise. Um, it's it's it yeah, is just that it, it just was not working, and you know supposedly in the, and you know the rumor is that any day now, now that HBO Max is going to cease to be, it is going to go back to just plain HBO, and they're going to merge their two um, streaming services into a single streaming service, which I think 
we've actually discussed in the past that mergers are going to end up happening because there are just too many damn services. Uh, and people are very concerned because they're worried about them bringing that discovery model of, you know, just showing ancient aliens and whatever, you know, and, and ghost hunters and whatever else that can be filmed on a dime. And that's what's going to happen. And you're going to lose some of those more high revenue stuff. And there's also rumors like all the DC stuff was bought basically to be sold off. So who knows what happens there? All right. So we'll, we'll find out what happens, but uh, we do know um, some stuff was canceled. Um, yeah. Uh, whether Batgirl or Scoob, uh, would have been successful. Uh, we'll never know. Uh, and I feel terrible for the Scooby Doo movie. Yeah, yeah, it was the sequel to the last Scoob, uh, that movie that did pretty well at theaters and and on VOD. Like um, back in the two thousands? No, no, there was a Scoob movie. It was an animated the COVID. One. Yeah. yeah, that was oh, yeah. the COVID. Totally missed that. I guess because I don't have yeah. children. No, no yeah, yeah. I watched we, it. We, I don't have children. Yeah. We, <laughs> Well, we we, we bought it. Time we time bought time. it. You just did. Right. Well, it it, it is Scooby Doo. You know, I mean, Scooby Doo is good stuff. Um, but but either way, <laughs> oh, uh, but either way, uh, yeah, that that sequel, um, which was forty million, as you said, Mike, that that has been scrapped as well, um, and will not be seen. By the light and, of and they'll probably get a fifty million tax write off for that one too. Right. Right. Uh, and then, then similar, and then uh, there was more news about Netflix, which is similar stuff, um, loss of subscribers and things like that. Um, but I, I don't know too much more detail of that because it's just the details. I know they lost on. a million subscribers last quarter, but that's not as bad as they thought it was going to be. They thought they were going to lose two. So their so yeah. their stock price jumped considerably because they only lost a million subscribers. Right. Yeah, but there, but there was some other news. The stock that, market makes sense. Uh, there was some other news too that was related to all that too, but um, it was just more you know extra tales to go along with that um, information that you just mentioned, Eric. Um, all right, so I guess we can get into uh, uh, well, it's it's an hour and fifty minutes that we've been recording, so I don't know if we really have any time to discuss what we've been watching. Um, so maybe, maybe we'll have to, uh, that's all right. Screw me again. You know what? What, you know what? That, that's a good point. Let's let Eric only, you always talk about your bullshit news and don't let me talk about what I've been watching. Eric, Eric (laughs) mentioned some interesting stuff during, uh, the Westworld podcast (laughs) offline. And I told him, I go, I can't wait to hear what it is Thursday. So Eric, please tell us what you've been watching it. I'm just going to run through it real quick. Um, went to the theater, saw Nope, Jordan Peele's latest movie. Um, I think it's Jordan Peele's weakest movie, but still a good movie. Um, I went to, or no, didn't go to, uh, I watched Studio 666, the Foo Fighters horror slash comedy. It's actually more of a comedy slash horror. Uh, I would just say this is a rock band, not actors. Um, but there is some decent gore in that movie if you're into that. Uh, I watched a movie called The Lost Footage of Leah Sullivan. Uh, found footage. It was decent. Uh, I watched another found footage movie called Butterfly Kisses, uh, which was a little better than decent. I like that one quite a bit. I watched a new 
and by new I mean 2022 release movie called Duel. That's D-U-A-L, um, starring Karen Gillan. Um, in the near future, I guess, because they still have cars that look like ours. Um, there's a new technology developed where if you're going to die, you can order a replacement for yourself um, to take your place so your family doesn't have to go through the loss. Um, but she ends up living, and so that has some interesting uh, consequences. I watched a movie um, on Apple when I rented it. It was called Final Prayer. Um on Letterboxd, for some reason, it's called The Borderlands. Uh, it's back from 2013. Um, it's like a found footage type of deal investigating um, phenomenon that happened at an old church. I like that. It was fun. Uh, I watched the sequel to The Reef. The Reef stalked. And I was disappointed. Not even close to as good as the original The Reef. Um, watched another movie on Shudder called Moloch. Uh, which was a, a good supernatural movie. Uh, and then I watched a movie on Netflix um, called Incantation, um, which I want to say is uh, Taiwanese. Um, and That's I enjoyed that one is. as well. So I've been watching a whole bunch of stuff and those are the titles. All right. And Andrew Trocki uh, directed the, the original Reef, and, and he, he did uh, the new Reef as well. Uh, unfortunately, it's not as good as you say. Uh, I did want to ask Kevin, but you, you, I was going to ask him, but you brought it up first, Art, but I'll ask Kevin's opinion. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned you saw the movie Moloch as well, and you, you and your feelings on that one? Yeah, I thought it was very good. Um, I mean, it's it's not fantastic, but I mean, it was definitely it's definitely worth a watch. I, I enjoyed it. And if we did an episode on it, I'd probably watch, be happy to watch it again. All right, sounds good. So uh, there's a couple of films that interested me that you mentioned, Eric, uh, including The Butterfly, uh, Kiss, Kisses. and Kisses, and Moloch. Those two seemed very interesting. Um, so uh, I may check those out. Um, all right, so let's uh, get into our final thoughts on this film. But before we do, uh, Eric, you actually do it on the podcast with your buddy Dan. I do. It's a general interest podcast called the Scancy Podcast. That's spelled A S K A N C I T Y. You can find it wherever you got this one. Excellent. And uh, Eric, also, uh, you, me, and Mike sometimes do another podcast. Uh, yeah. And it's about, about, to talk movies about? That, about movies that aren't horror. Ah, okay. Uh, we. Do. We do another podcast uh, that about movies that don't necessarily fit under the Dark Discussions umbrella. Uh, we kind of rotate uh, picks, choosing a movie to cover, um, and record those when we can, which has been extremely inconsistently. Um, so, uh, next one up, I believe, is going to be a pick from Mike, um, which we'll be recording an episode on a sci-fi movie. Uh, can't wait to talk about it. Um, but who knows when it's actually going to happen. So, uh, you can find that, I believe, Phil, you put that in the main dark discussions feed, don't you? Yes. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so you can find that in the, in the main discussion, the dark discussions feed. Uh, if you subscribe to the podcast, it'll show up for you, or you can go find it on its own uh, feed. It's called cinema a la carte. Indeed. And, uh, Mike, me, you and Eric are doing, a, a another podcast that we have, uh, about two more episodes, uh, on uh, what's that all about? That is uh, Bullets, Problems, and Bots, a Westworld podcast. Uh, we are in the tail end of season four, which is an eight-episode season. 
Um, we are uh, six episodes in. There's no Westworld in this episode. <laughs> and season so far, uh, it has all been everything. It's all been more future world. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're enjoying it, or at least I'm enjoying it so far. And uh, so two more episodes left, and then you know, on a, to a seven or eight year hiatus until the final season. Uh, assuming there will be a final season. Assuming there will be. You know, there will be. We'll just have a budget of $38. There you go. Um, also, uh, uh, Barrett, myself and you, along with uh, rotating co-hosts, uh, do another podcast sometimes? Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. Yes, uh, we are kind of on hiatus because we did something in June. We did Pride Month, and we are going to be doing a couple of television series here Yep, that's right. Uh, that will be uh, uh, the She-Hulk and the Game of uh, Thrones uh, prequel called House of Dragons. Uh, that and actually, really we're fun. doing them both together. It's going to be called House of She-Hulk as the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they're they're going to be uh, yeah be, being uh, done during during uh, their runs. Uh, myself, Mike Barrett, and Sean Fox. We'll, we'll, we'll be doing them, and uh, if Kevin wants to join us for She-Hulk, uh, you're most welcome, because I know you probably won't want to do the Game of Thrones one, um, but uh, we're, we'll uh, be coming up with those two podcasts. We'll be coming later in August. Uh, now, uh, Eric, you, myself, Barrett, and well, actually, we're doing that podcast right now, which is Dr. Christmas Podcast, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> where the hell are you going with this? I have no idea. Anyway, all right. So uh, uh, let's get into our final thoughts on Time After Time. So, uh, Eric, why don't you start? All right. Uh, time After Time. Uh, David Warner was a fine actor. Rest in peace. This movie wasn't for me personally. All right. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, David Warner uh, has always had a soft heart and uh, a soft spot in my heart because, uh, again, his character in The Omen is my favorite character in, in any horror film I've ever seen. And uh, this film here, he's excellent as usual, and it's a great film. brings back a lot of memories from my childhood when I saw it as a, a young kid on HBO. And uh, it was a high recommend, excellent premise, and great acting, and a fun film. Uh, let's go view Barrett. Yeah, uh, rest in peace, David Warner. Um, I liked this film, considering when it came out in the 70s, um, I think it was pretty well done. There's a lot of little things that make it stronger. There's some good acting. Worth watching. All right, uh, Kevin. Uh, pretty much to echo what Barrett said, it's definitely worth watching. I've seen this many, many times. I grew up watching this. Rest in peace, David Warner. You have done so many things. You have accomplished so much in your career. And it's it, it's very sad to see you go. And this movie was definitely one of your one of the good ones that I remember. I also remember you as evil the evil genius uh, from Time Bandits. You were you were classic in that one too. Uh, I missed you. But uh, yeah, this is a good movie. Malcolm McDowell, Mary Steenburgen really pull it off together. They do a fantastic job. I I definitely would recommend watching it. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, yeah, Time Bandits was one of the other films that we just considered choosing before we chose Time After Time. Uh, Mike. Yeah, uh, again, rest in peace, David Warner. Thank you for 
years and years of, of, of entertainment. Um, and this is a film, like I said, I have a soft spot in my heart. Uh, it is definitely a, a film that has uh, shows its age, um, as we mentioned. Uh, but I still think it is a, as long as you keep your expectations in check and you don't go into it expecting it to be a horror film, which it is not. Um, it, it, I think it's a, a tight little thriller. I think it's pretty well written with a little bit of creakiness in terms of justifying the um, the, the time travel mechanics. But otherwise, I think it's fairly smartly written. I think it's pretty well acted. And I think it's, a, I think it's fun. Uh, as Eric, even Eric said, you know, the, the, the fish out of water stuff is very, is handled well. So, um, yeah, I'd recommend it. You can find it on uh, Amazon Prime is where I, I got it. And you'll rent it for like two ninety nine, uh, but I'm sure other platforms have it as well, except maybe HBO Max. All right, sounds good. Uh, so once again, uh, as everybody said, uh, rest in peace, David Warner. This is our tribute episode to him. Uh, the film, like Mike said, is available anywhere VOD is rentable or purchasable because you can buy the film as well, or you can do as I did and buy the, the Blu-ray. <laughs> Uh, on Amazon Prime, which it came out maybe a year or two ago, it, it was when it came out. It was one of those bigger releases for on Blu-ray.com that they were pushing it because uh, it was a film that everybody had been waiting for for a long time. Uh, it does have a commentary track as well as well as the trailer. Um, so uh, once again, the film's called Time After Time, uh, starring Malcolm McDowell and. Uh, uh, Stein, Steinberger and um, uh, David Warner, and so uh, Mary Steinberger, and then uh, also one of Bergen. the victims was uh, Bergen, and one of the victims, Patty D'Arbenville, uh played Shirley. Patty D'Arbenville uh, was the victim uh, in the apartment in San Francisco. Uh, she was well playing the museum actress. with Corey Feldman. Yes, that's right. And uh, Patty D. Arbenfeld was uh, a big-time actress during the Andy Warhol films. And uh, then, of course, Corey Feldman as probably the youngest we've ever seen him. Um, so, with all that stated, Eric, why don't you leave this out? All right. Thanks for tuning in. Let's pay our tribute to David Warner by talking about his movie Time After Time. Come back next week. We'll have another topic. <laughs>